great future. We're talking real money. Oh, my goodness. For almost as long as I've been doing this stuff, the folks at The Motley Fool have been driving me crazy. Really, they drive me crazy. I know they're making a lot of money, but I don't like the way they do it. I don't like their advice very much, and uh, they do get out there. They're very, very good at marketing, and they're very good at getting your attention. Through headlines like this one that I saw when I was, I think I was on Flipboard or something, reading news stories. And, and here's this headline, and it just jumps out at me. I can't help but read it. The headline is, Why You Can Beat the Stock Market But the Best Fund Managers Can't. Seriously. You see, this is so appealing to our egos. We want to think we're above average. We want to think we have special skills. That we can beat the market, even though there is, and they allude to it. Well, they even come out and say it in the article. There is no evidence. There's no evidence that active mutual fund managers can beat the market. They don't do it. They haven't done it for years. As a matter of fact, the Motley Fool uses the Standard & Poor's SPIVA scorecard, which is the index versus active. That's what SPIVA means, S&P, index versus active scorecard. And they compare how active fund managers do against indexes, or the S&P indexes. And they say here in the article that... Uh, Large company stock mutual fund managers, why, over five years, the index beat them 78% of the time or something like that. So how can you beat the market on your own? Well, you have an edge over them, they say, because you can do something they can't do, they say. And that is invest in small cap stocks, small company stocks, as they say, quote, those issued by a company with a market capitalization between $300 million and $2 billion. Yeah, I know that doesn't sound small, but in the world of stocks, it's small. Yes, you can invest in small cap stocks. But so can mutual fund managers. And they do. And how have they done well, according to the mid-year SPIVA scorecard, small cap managers perform even worse than those who manage large company stock funds. Over 80% of the time, over five years, the index beats the active managers, and over 10 years, it's 90%. 90%. It's only 10% of managers over a 10-year period manage to beat the S&P small cap 600. So how do you think you can do it? Well, they say, and they're wrong, but they say that you, because you're a smarter investor, you have the time to do your own homework and pick your own stocks, that you, you can pick good ones. You can do it with their help, of course, because they provide you with picks. But the reality is there's no evidence that they or anyone else beat the market. Yeah, every once in a while they'll show you a number that their picks beat the market. But but many years ago, Value Line used to claim that their stock picks beat the market. Then they started their own mutual fund, and it turned out their mutual fund underperformed the market. That's because you can pick a stock 
and it does well. But when you pick a stock and you tell your subscribers about that stock and hundreds or thousands of people go out and buy hundreds or thousands of shares, that moves the market. So the performance of these picks is rarely as good as they tout it to be. And the reality is you cannot beat the market. You can't. You might get lucky. But seriously, are you going to trust your future, your security, to luck? When you could just own the market? And had you owned the market over the past almost 100 years, you would have enjoyed a return of about 10% per year or more. If you'd invested in small cap stocks over that period of time, it would have been far better than that. And what's wrong with that? You can do it without gambling, just by accepting volatility. But when you buy individual stocks, it is a gamble. 855-935-TALK is our phone number, 855-935-8255. Gotten a lot of calls, still getting lots of calls. We're really glad you call us with your questions. And uh, we better get some of those out of the way because we're coming down to the end of the week and we don't want to leave them too long. So uh, let's get to the calls right now. Okay, maybe you'll tell me if I'm wrong. But with the CARES Act, you do not have to take out required minimum distributions. I'm over 70. I've taken out one last year. I, I, uh, qual I had to start taking RMDs. The CARE Act says I don't have to do that this year. What I wanted to do was um, roll over part of my 457B into a Roth IRA because I'm not working and because I guess there are rules that you can't roll an RMD into a Roth IRA. I thought this year, um, since, I, since I'm not required to take the RMD, that I could just roll it over into a Roth. When I talked to Vanguard, they said, yes, you can do that, but we're going to send you a 1099 that says so much was the RMD. And I said, but it wasn't the RMD. And she said, well, that's the way the computer set up or whatever the program is. So I need to know how to address that. Maybe I should call the IRS, but maybe you guys have already addressed it and I missed the question on the show. Basically, I wanted to... Uh, put money into a, a Roth IRA since there's this time period that I don't have to take the RMD. I know I'm going to take, I'm going to pay taxes on that. I've already figured out the limit before I go into the next um, um, tax bracket. So I know how much I want to take out. Enjoy your program immensely. I learned a lot. Hoping you can help me with this. Thank you. Hmm, I was not aware that Vanguard system was set up that way, but I guess that makes sense that it's still going to show that it's a uh, that you did the RMD uh, because you can pretty much take any amount you want out, but you have to take a minimum amount. So I, I, that's just probably a Vanguard in-house accounting thing that they can't really switch because this is a temporary item under the CARES Act that it's just a temporary reduction, but you won't have to pay the taxes on that. So that's really the big issue. You don't have to pay the taxes. You can forget about them this year and then 
do that as a uh, you can just but again you're going to pay the taxes but you don't have to worry about missing that rmd they're not going to be looking for an rmd for 2020 so you can pay the taxes and transfer that money into your roth ira i do believe without any issue whatsoever because of the cares act so don't worry about it it's just a bookkeeping thing at vanguard and uh, I think you should go ahead and do it. If you do, if you want to make absolutely sure there's nothing wrong with contacting the IRS, you might want to email them, though. you got plenty of time. And just get a, a response from them that way because you could be tied up on the phone forever, I hear. 855-935-TALK is our number. 855-935-8255. Hey, Tom and Don. Really love the show and the advice you guys give. I had a question related to asset allocation. Um, I am a federal employee, have been for about 15 years, plan on staying in federal service and retiring eventually uh, in about 18 years as a federal employee. Um, As being that, I'll have a pension and then also Social Security. So my question is related to how to allocate my um, TSP account and my Roth IRA. Um, I don't know my exact risk quid score, but I tend to be pretty traditional in the sense that my thinking is when I retire, I want to have about a 40 to 50% in bonds or fixed assets and fixed income, and then about 50 to 60% in uh, stocks. But a part of me is kind of rethinking that in that I will have a pension and social security, which I kind of have been recently viewing as maybe my baseline or my fixed part of my portfolio. So I guess my question would be, since I have those two most likely very stable sources of income and could I afford to be more risky in terms of investing a greater allocation towards um, the C fund and the S fund and the I fund in the TSP, and then be more risky in my Vanguard IRA account, Roth IRA account I have as well. Um, I fully fund the Roth IRA every year at 6000 per year, and I also am contributing 15% to my TSP, split pretty evenly between traditional TSP and Roth TSP, and I am currently 44 years old. Appreciate the advice. Appreciate you taking the time to consider my question, and have a great weekend. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for the question. Um, actually, I'm going to answer part of your question after I take a, a question from another listener because you guys both ask almost the, the exact same question. But let me talk about your asset allocation first. You say when you get to retirement, you will probably be a 50-50 or a 60-40 kind of investor, which means you're going to be taking some risk of high volatility, but not as high as owning the entire stock market. But we really don't know where we're going to be when we get there. We have to sort of reassess along the way. The trick is to invest for your comfort level today. So what it really boils down to, uh, take another risk quiz, but what it really boils down to 
If you can stand the potential loss in a year of 50% of your money and you won't panic or do anything dumb, then at your age, you could certainly have 100% of your money in a well-diversified portfolio of stocks around the world, um, large and small, U.S. and international. You could even pick up some small cap uh, overload small cap value a little bit, get some emerging markets if you really want to build a, a more complicated one. But I would be heavily, more heavily in equities, generally speaking, at your age than I would be certainly at retirement. As for the question about the pension and Social Security, well, we got another question that came in at TalkingRealMoney.com and uh, the uh, gentleman recorded it using the little mic button. Hey, Tom and Don, it's Mike from Colorado calling. I just had a question about Social Security and pensions, whether or not that is or should be inclusive of your fixed income. Um, I recently just listened to, actually it was one of uh, Jack Bogle's last interviews and where the guy is sharp as a tack all the way to the end, but he was talking about utilizing um whatever your uh, pension amount would be and social security amount, I guess just the inverse of maybe it was a 4% rule and uh, putting that as your asset allocation for your fixed income. I'm 59 years old. I've never done that. I've always just managed it at 60, 40. And um, I'm going to get a pension next year. I'm one of the lucky few. And in doing my math, my pension is going to amount to about $46,000 a year. And I'm just wondering, should I have, or all along, or starting at age 60, add an extra $1.1 million into my fixed income so that when I, uh, I, I rebalance every year, I'm inclusive of that? And you know, the second part of my question is with Social Security, I'm not planning on collecting until 70. But I did the quick math on that, and I'll be roughly getting 40000 a year when I start collecting at 70. Should at age 70, I add that million dollars to that fixed income bucket? I'm not sure. Or do I do it earlier? I just need some clarification on it. Um, when I did my risk tolerance quiz with you guys, I'm actually at 70-30. So I'm just wondering if I'm being overly cautious, even though I've got enough at the 60-40, but obviously throwing those fixed income buckets in of social security and pension would really make me over the top on uh, fixed income. And uh, I'm just wondering if I need to be more aggressive. Thanks so much. And I appreciate all you guys do. And I look forward to getting an answer um, on these couple of questions. Thank you. The old argument about a uh, fixed income in retirement being a fixed income investment. And here's the thing. You have fixed income in your portfolio, not to create income. That's the, I think that's where this issue gets muddled. These guys who are advising this are thinking that your fixed income portfolio is an income generator, and that's not how we see it. We see your fixed income portfolio as a means by which to reduce interim volatility to keep your portfolio from scaring you to death. So let's say you did that 
and you put all of your other money, because you've got so much money coming in from Social Security and pensions, you put everything into equities because you're th- saying, hey, I got a 60-40 or 70-30 or whatever it is. If the market drops by 50%, what are you likely to do? I can tell you from experience with thousands and thousands of people that rarely is anyone actually, in reality, comfortable with a 50% decline in their portfolio. It is so rare to find somebody who will actually sit tight through turmoil like that. And that's the point of fixed income. That is more the point of fixed income than the income. Maybe we need to come up with a better name for fixed income investments. Maybe we need to call them far more stable investments. The stable portion of your portfolio, because that's really what short intermediate bonds are designed more to be. Not making you money. You can make the money from the stocks. You can use your stocks as income generators and gravy on the other stuff. You've got great income. So maybe you won't have to take as much out of your stocks, giving you the ability to let them ride even more and grow even more. But I would not count it as a fixed income, quote, bucket. I'm not a big bucket guy anyway. 855-935-TALK is our phone number, 855-935-8255. Hope that answered both of your questions, because they're pretty much the same question. Uh, By the way, I I just want to apologize for the noise, for the beeping, for the background noise. Um, I am not in my studio. I am literally sitting in a bedroom at my brother-in-law's house in North Carolina, because we're up for a socially distant, immediate family-only wedding. So my apologies for the less than desirable sound quality, but I'm glad to have been able to get together with you this uh, on this day for a podcast. And please feel free to call anytime with your questions to 855-935-TALK, 855-935-8255, or send your questions in at Talking Real Money via the contact form tomorrow. Tom may be doing the show alone the show on Como Radio that becomes a podcast next week. So uh, we'll see how that goes. We'll play that by ear. By the way, um, if you do need more help than we can give in the show, please feel free, feel comfortable contacting one of our advisors at Vestry. They are fiduciaries. They are fee only. They are not commissioned. They're not going to try and sell you anything. And they uh, will help anyone who asks. Just set up an appointment at Vestry.com or call 800-386-3004. It's really easy. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. Please call us with your questions at 855-935-TALK or call on the live show tomorrow, Saturday from 3 to 5 Eastern Time, 855-935-8255. I'm glad you're there. Please tell a friend. And thanks for listening to Talking Real Money. I'm Don McDonald. Providing personalized financial planning or investing advice takes time, so please consult with a really good fee-only fiduciary investment, tax, or legal advisor. We know a good one. Investing must always involve risk. In other words, you can and probably will lose money at times. Also, as much as you want it, no one can accurately, consistently predict the future. So, past performance doesn't tell you a darn thing about what the future will bring. Unlike many other programs that say something similar, Talking Real Money is not trying to get you to buy or sell any financial products or securities. Instead, the program is provided as a public service by Vestry, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Thanks for listening, and please visit TalkingRealMoney.com for more information and disclosures. That's a wrap.